Hello and welcome to episode the 32 of Tampa Tantrum. Um, I'm joined as always by Colin. Hello, Colin. Hello, sir. How are you? Superb. Better than superb, actually. I, I feel really good. Yeah, I've had a lovely few weeks. It's been good. You? Uh, good. Yeah, I had a relaxing few days in... Uh... Actually, no, no, I didn't have a relaxing few days. I had a few days in Italy. It wasn't in any way relaxing. So... Mm. Um... I, I heard the rumour that you were with the Mr. Hoffman as well. <laughs> yeah, I was just papping him for a few days. Uh, I, oh, I, no, I, th- I thought it was like a romantic break you'd both gone on. I thought you were finally uh, tying the knot and sealing the deal. It's still a big secret, but oh. we'll have an announcement soon. So, um, Thank God we don't have any listeners. We <laughs> <laughs> did have a, a romantic swim on the evening before he left, so that was, that was nice. Beautiful. Um, but it's cool. It's it's not a, it's not far away, Ancona. So it's where Novus and Ellie are based. Um, for anyone that's a bit confused, so they're based in Tolentino, which is uh, the nearest city is Ancona, but it's just inland from Ancona. But it's a forty-five minute drive from Ireland. So door to door, it took me seventeen hours to get there. Wow, wow! Including a, a three and a half hour sleep in a dodgy hotel in Sunset. Wow. So yeah, I'm a little tired, but um, I'm not one to complain. It, I, I actually really like Ancona as well. It was my first time um, a few weeks back, and um, it was just really pretty. It was really nice. Yeah, that's a nice place. The, the, mm. the city itself is quite industrial, but it has its charm. Mm. No, definitely, definitely. And um, I, uh, I, I saw that there was an announcement recently about um, our throwing championships on Desbrudge. Um Yeah, so we're... Um... It's pretty good, actually. I like the photos. Yeah, no, it's great. Yeah, so Craig, uh, so yeah, we've announced the um, the the Irish the the inaugural. It's important to say inaugural because it's a good word. The inaugural Irish coffee throwing championships, which will be held next Sunday, the nineteenth of July, at the Bernard Shaw. Be there and, uh, or don't be there. Exactly. Just general yeah. advice. Uh, so we've 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 rented out the place. We've got a, a throwing gallery. We've got you know beer on hand. We've got um, you know no expenses being spent. <laughs> and um, we uh, we're expecting a big crowd, and the photographs are up on tampertantrum.com. You can see uh, what it looks like. And Craig, who was a, a two-time Irish handball champion, which is kind of like squash except you use your hand. Um, uh, so he's got quite an arm in him. So he got he got quite a bit, good bit of distance, more distance than I got anyway. Mm, mm. Now I, I I mean I was I, I was also there, and I was trying to catch the bags, and uh, yeah, not very successfully so trying to catch them so we could reuse them. There is a definite hint there for people who are thinking of competing is that bag split very easily. Very, yeah. very easily. I think I, th- I don't think it will be the longest throw that wins come Sunday. I think it will be the... Uh, yeah, it will be the, the smartest person. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. why uh, I'm not entering. So, yeah. Expect lots of photographs and videos and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. So, we've got a surprise today. We have. A lovely surprise. I'll let you do the introductions there because you're much better at that than me. Okay, so uh, our next guest is someone that we've been a huge fan of and who spoke at the very, very first uh, Tamper Tantrum event. No, the second Tamper Tantrum event? Uh, yeah, I think it was the first one, wasn't it? The first one, yeah, yeah. The se- No, it was the second one. It was the second one. Was it? Uh, and flew a long, long way to be there. So we were enormously grateful and did a really excellent presentation. One of my favourites even to this day. Uh, someone who's had a, a huge... Um, kind of uh, impact on, on coffee across the world, most notably in, in North America, in all sorts of areas, in um, 
competition and training in um, kind of the running of competitions and associations and uh, education as well so it's um uh yeah someone who uh, we've all looked up to to a long for a long time and we're delighted to have her on the show today ladies and gentlemen miss ellie hudson how are you ellie hi colin hi steve hi ellie how are you doing so far so good um, <laughs> it's <laughs> it's a little bit on the early side here um i thank you for moving the the call to accommodate my schedule but um you might hear the birds in the background we've they're heard birds very... in the background on this show <laughs> they're very loud when i woke up this morning i was like oh my god the because i um as I, I mentioned earlier i'm actually quite literally in my childhood bedroom at my parents house right now so have everything mission control kind of all set up here so that i don't get disrupted by my grandma wandering around nice um, but yeah, it's because it's, you know, it's 7 a.m. So the birds are like going nuts. So you might hear them in the background, but it's quite nice. Very peaceful here. Well, if grandma does come, she can come on the podcast and tell okay. us her thoughts about coffee. Yeah, that, that would be fun. Yeah. Does she yes. have any opinions on the EK43? <laughs> she probably would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she, I hear my... she's not a Matt Perger fan. I heard she was biting him out recently, but you know. We probably shouldn't talk about well, that. Well, you know, she's Appalachian and she's very opinionated, but she's very sweet. Um, my sister and I actually, true coffee story, were struggling last night to get her coffee to the correct temperature. And all we had was our campfire. So we were kind of like setting the coffee near the campfire. And then she would be like, oh, it's too hot. Like, oh, let it cool off. Oh, it's too cool. So it was, <laughs> took us about 90 minutes to serve her coffee. I think that the family of coffee people are the worst people to serve coffee to because they oh, have such seriously. huge expectations and they also have no qualms about complaining. Like regular customers will just say, oh, yeah, this is nice and they won't say too much. But your own family will be like, this is awful. You have failed us. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, um, that's so, just you, Colin. Just okay, you. okay, I'm sorry. It's All right, that so whole thing about we like, just, just a little bit of information. <laughs> <laughs> we want to dig in a little bit uh, to your background a little bit first before we, we kick on uh, to other things. So you uh, you went to the same university as Jen, is that correct? Yes. Yeah, we are alums of Northwestern University in Evanston, Illinois. Do they have like a mascot? Should I be saying like Go Gators or Go Raccoons or something? Yes. Um, it's called the Wildcats. And it's yeah, a Go Wildcats. strange. Yeah. Go Wildcats. <laughs> uh, and in linguistics, is that correct? Yes, I was a linguistics major. It's my degree. Wow. Okay. Um, and does that come in any kind of useful in your current oh, career? Oh, it, it it really does. And I'm not being funny. Um, so linguistics is a lot of like people kind of have this vague familiarity with what it is. It's really, um, it's like turning language into a math equation. So you take kind of your preconceived ideas out of it and look at it objectively. So as a linguistics major, one of the things that you do is you study languages that you don't speak. Like you get a little like map. This is how you, you know, these diacritical markings mean that you're looking at the past tense and this means that this is the agent and this is the, you know, whatever. So you just get really good at being able to identify nuances in language. And I think um, one of the side effects when I was a student is I, I kind of lost my sense of humor because you could kind of understand the technical reasons why things were the way were funny <laughs> <clears throat> and luckily I didn't actually go into the field so that that wore off over time but um 
it's studying the way that people use language. I mean, it's certainly, I, I use a lot of my knowledge and background constantly. Not, um, I realized that I, I didn't want to be a researcher. Like I didn't really like research. And so I didn't want to go into the field, but it turns out that other fields use language. Okay. That's good. I always, see, I, I always remember, always remember you early when you were at Intelli. So when did you did you do? Were you in coffee before Intelli, or did you go straight to somewhere really cool after university? Yeah, not not really. And I was a student when I started there. So okay. I was I started at Intelligentsia in 1999 at the Broadway store. And at the time, we didn't call it the Broadway store because it was our only store. And the at that point, the the roaster had just moved off site. So when they started the company, the, they actually roasted it in the cafe there. And when I started, it had moved about a year and a half to its own um, wholesale, lo- or to its own location where they really grew the wholesale business out of. So you're kind of like one of the founders kind of of that, at that time where intelligentsia started to really become, make its mark. And because I, mean, I always remember like, kind of hearing your name come up all the time, like 2003, 2004, um, kind of read the briefs competition stuff when it was really kind of starting to, you felt the momentum was there. But you're kind of one of the first ones really there then. Are we... you calling me old? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Colin, can you take over and talk, please? <laughs> Tell us a little bit about competition and your experience in competition. Oh, well, thank you. Um, well, thank you for that compliment, Steve. I just want to acknowledge that. Um, and it was, <laughs> it was a... It was a very exciting time. I think it was um, just there was a lot of changes and um, I just kind of happened to be in the right place at the right time. Um, And competition for me was basically, so how it kind of started was we, um, Doug Zell, who is the founder of Intelligentsia, had just, he had decided that he wanted um, some staff to participate in the competitions we had started to have kind of these regional presence and it was gaining momentum. That was like, I don't know if you guys remember coffeegeek.com was like the main social media yeah. um, outlet for coffee people then. And people were talking about competition and there was a couple of other regional roasters that were kind of getting some national recognition and that appealed to us. And so we, at the time I had, at that point, I think it was probably early 2003. It might've been Oh two. I think it was 03, whatever, um, that we decided to start training for it. And at that point, I had moved into a role of um, more in a, into a training role. And at the time, at Intelligentsia, it really meant wholesale. Um, we were just growing wholesale so much. And so it, I was kind of the natural fit to, to do that. And I wanted to have a training partner. I just I felt like I was really... From the beginning, I felt like we would be better off if we had two people kind of pushing each other. And so myself and Amber Sather, who I think you guys know, she and I went to Denmark and trained with Fritz Storm to just, that was basically like, this is how you become a barista competitor. So it was like, um, welcome to the jungle kind of thing. And Fritz was amazing. (laughs) I've (laughs) trained with Fritz Storm as well, so I know what you mean. Oh, good. Yeah. A lot of the, um, I mean, we still, Amber and I, will still share, like, Fritz Storm-isms from that very first trip. I don't think it ever leaves you. No. I think it made me a more organized person, too. Just, um, I, I didn't know, I had never heard the concept of mise en place at the time, but that's really a lot of what he taught us, was being really intentional about 
just think about where you're going to set something down before you pick it up um, and just kind of the whole workflow thing. And so we, you know, um, there were some tears. We, he definitely like broke us down. We thought we were really good baristas and we were, you know, we had this great intelligentsia coffee sourced for us by Jeff Watts and, you know, roasted. We had all these different, you know, and Fritz was just like, you guys need a lot of work. So we um, got up in the morning every day, headed out to his training lab and worked on that. And we were there for about a week and then kind of came back and we had decided that we wanted to expand the team to include um, anybody else in the company that wanted to do it. And so for those first couple of years, we were really, um, Amber and I competed initially and then we were excluded from the 2004 USBC because of just, you know, the, whatever we didn't register in time and didn't really understand that that you couldn't just show up and do it but um I remember you guys might remember Michelle Campbell who was on the SCA staff at the time and Intelligentsia's office was this big open floor plan and now there's like sort of semi-private cubicles but it's still kind of open at the time it was like a big room in the top floor of a warehouse so there's no privacy you know you we would joke like see what happens when sort of like the real world, like people stop being polite and start getting real. Like you just know everyone's conversations. And, and if someone would want to take like a cell phone call off to the side, it was like, Oh, what's he talking about? So anyway, we would hear Doug Zell call Michelle Campbell like 10 times a day. Any openings, any openings? Has anyone dropped out? Has anyone dropped out? And like Doug Zell is relentlessness embodied. And like, if he, if he has the vision for something, it's like, it is going to happen. So he pushed and we, we actually drove to Atlanta from Chicago. It's my very first SCAA, but we couldn't compete. So we had all our stuff and we were spectators. And then the next wow. year, yeah, the next year we, um, Amber and Matt and I, the next two years actually, Seattle and Charlotte, USBC, um, Matt is Matt Riddle. Um, the next two years, all three of us made the finals. So I was the U.S. runner-up in five, 05 and then Matt was the champion in 2006. That was kind of that set off a chain where like year after year for for many years up until two thousand ten, it was just one after another of not just um, intelligentsia champions but intelligentsia kind of like almost like four or five competitors out of the top six would be intelligentsia. Mhm, mm I think um, there is an expectation of excellence there, and you know just in the same way we were saying about Fritz that. I was so young when I started there and that way of working, it never leaves you. And there's this commitment to excellence and this expectation of it. And you have this team environment that kind of goes along with it. I mean, it just pushes you so hard. You get to this point where you just don't accept good enough. And I think that we had such an advantage because we had the freedom to push each other in that way. And in the meantime, there, you're still, you still have to do your job. You know, I was the wholesale trainer and you guys know, um, what wholesale is like a lot of retailers in the U S they love being an intelligentsia customer. In my case, they loved working with us. But if I was going to go to Seattle for a week to compete in some coffee competition, they're a little bit like good for you, but I still, I still need you to be there for me. And, um, I think that, is just, I mean, you just figure it out, you make it work. And, and that's one of the advantages of working with the team is you kind of cover for each other when you can and try to help each other. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think the, 
that culture really persists there today. I think I, you know, I could walk into any intelligentsia store and there's no one there that, that pe- they would be like, hi lady, let me explain coffee to you, <laughs> yeah. um, which happened many times. I don't live in Chicago anymore, but I used to go to the, one of their newer cafes, which is the Logan Square location. I would go for a run and end there and then get coffee and walk home. And it's just like, oh, this like sweaty person is asking me about the offerings, like whatever lady, you, you don't understand. <laughs> So it's really interesting you saying about the um, about like having to still do the job on top of it because WBC this year and and the past few years you know talking to people backstage and they're like oh yeah no I've been off work for two months practicing like since I won my championship I've just been practicing like I was off the road and everything at Intelli at that time you were still very much on the road and it was all in your own time or did Doug kind of say oh no well you can have X amount of hours to go and do that oh we they we were totally supported by Intelligentsia. And, um, you know, I don't know if that's still the case. I would imagine so. But um, we, the, it was just that we still had, like, our day jobs to do. It, the, the, the only pressure was, like, well, don't, don't let wholesale, I don't want to hear from wholesale that they've called you and you didn't call them back or whatever. You know, so that was the, so I don't know, it was a little bit of a blend of, is it really your own time? I don't know when you're like the, at the intelligence, say a works for 17 hours a day, I guess it kind of creeps into your social life, but um, we were totally, totally supported. And then there came a time obviously when you, 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 cause you left cause you're not there now. Where did, where did you go next? What was the, the next step from there? Yeah. So I moved with Intelligentsia to Los Angeles and um, that was in 2006, so just doing the math, you know, I'd been there for um, a number of years, and I was only 26 years old, but I moved out there basically in a role of a senior employee, um, someone kind of from the old school, and um, that was in, oh, my dad's in here, and he's bringing me some more coffee. Thanks, Dad. (laughs) My parents are also customers of Wrecking Ball, so they get, um, from Nick and Trish and the team there, they get coffee shipped to them, um, ten bags. Every what is it, Dad? Ten bags every two weeks. No, that's five nice. bags a month. Five Six. bags a month. Okay, and then some of their they sell it to some of their friends and consume a lot of it. So Starting their own stuff. wholesale operation. Yep. Mhm. So anyway, so sorry about that. So, yeah, that was 2006. I moved out there. Um, I lasted a year. I mean, I think I don't know if this is just like a Gen X thing, but I just I had kind of reached the my ceiling of what I felt like I could contribute. Um, the company culture was really changing a lot, and um, I don't know, it was just a little bit more of, had some wanderlust, and um, I I left in 2007, after about a year, and it was uh, really, I don't want to say it was mutual, like I think when I quit, Doug was really surprised, but he called me a couple days later and was like, I think you're doing the right thing, I think this is, you know, we'll always support you, whatever, you know, just stay in touch, and that has remained the case um, through since then. And I just, you know, I had some curiosity. I had joined the SCAA board and had, you know, started meeting a lot of people. I was elected in 2007, and then later that year was when I left Intelligentsia. So I did, I worked with a a little consulting consortium that is no longer around. They were called Coffee Solutions. And it was um, just amazing experience when you're writing proposals and, helping companies. And I think my background with Intelligentsia was a huge draw for a lot of sort of like medium-sized regional roasters, like how to kind of get a little bit more modern, how to really embrace the craft of the barista. 
and there was so much transition, especially in the U.S. I had some international work. I did a bunch of work in Nicaragua that was sponsored by the government of Spain and training these young people how to cup coffee and get them interested in, you know, basically like give them a, help them develop skills so that they would be interested in continuing to work on the farms. So that was, I did that for 2007. I think I was there for two years, okay, three years maybe. And then I joined the SCA staff in 2010 in my current role. Okay. So what is your current role at the SCA? My title is Director of Professional Development. Um, from the day I was hired, it was very much like this role is what you make it. Um, our focus has been on what we call the training program or the education program, and that's the probably the most visible piece of, of SCAA ProDev, which is um, the pathway programs, barista, roaster, coffee buyer, coffee taster, yeah. um, and, and the campuses, the, what we used to call the certified labs, where the training can take place. And then, of course, we have our own SCAA events where we produce um, a lot of the same activity in our own events, the expo, the Roaster Skill Retreat, and the barista camps. And by the way, we have a potential new event that will be added in calendar year 2016. So Coffee throwing? Stay tuned. <laughs> yeah. Coffee throwing. <clears throat> yeah, we've trademarked that. It's all ours. You can't. Yeah. It's not allowed. Yeah, or we'll sell it to you. Yes. Perfect. We'll send you a quote. <laughs> so who's driving the SCIA? We obviously know that you're pretty important in there and very visible at the front. And we know of Rick as well, who's, you know, been, been pushing forward SCIA for... It's true. For I am very important. You are very important. You're very much... <laughs> no, I mean, you talk to people and you go to trade shows and they kind of go, you know, you, you'll see you'll see Rick and you'll see yourself and you'll kind of go, okay, this is, this is you know, the people that you, you see every time at every one. But there's obviously people back back at uh, HQ kind of driving things. So so who are the driving people be all, behind all the different parts of SCAA? Um, well, we are a membership organization, and um, the the whole purpose of, of a trade association of any kind, and SCAA is no different, is to promote trade in your industry. And ours, of course, being specialty coffee, um, in the early 80s, our founders looked at the landscape of their industry and said, we want to have basically, you know, I'm paraphrasing, they didn't literally say this. We want to have some entity that helps us with pre-competitive activity and um, promoting trade in our industry. So they formed the SCAA. So the whole purpose, the reason that we exist is is to serve our membership and to make, um, in the ways that we promote trade, I should say, there's sort of three primary ways that we do that. One is by producing events. And of course, the purpose of that is for the community networking um, and helping coffee businesses discover each other, or for the purpose of finding tools that help business improvement. Um, we have the education piece, which is what I'm responsible for, and then that's kind of built on our standards and research and that, that sort of thing. And those are the types of activities that are very... the um, Most trade associations in other industries do standards and education, not necessarily events. Um, we do all three. So we have an elected board that is the representation of membership, and they um, basically drive all of our decision-making through our budget and our strategic plan. So um, it's a little bit boring when we explain it that way, but that's kind of how, um, how the structure is. And then from there, we have the staff. You mentioned Rick is our executive director, and then we have various levels of empowerment to kind of execute pieces of those things, the strategic plan and the budget. And... 
I'm a director, and so the myself and my colleagues at the director level, I mean, that's really what we do all day is like, okay, and sometimes it is literally sitting down and like, okay, where am I with the current budget? How do I need to, you know, what do I need to do to make my revenue goals? Some of the directors don't have revenue responsibilities, so like our new director of sustainability, Kim Ionescu, who I think she was a guest on Tamper Tantrum a while back. She was. Right? She Asia was. Tour, she did right? the Asia tour. Yeah, no, it was amazing talk as well. Good plug there. Yeah, I like the yeah. link. People should go watch that one. But uh, yeah, Kim, Kim was just, like just a stunning talk. It was really, really good. Um, yeah, talked about so all she... the work from counterculture. She's a really good speaker. I mean, just like leaving aside her expertise for the moment and her experience, she's also like just a, a very good speaker. She's got great presence, and I think that's one of the reasons that talk was so good. Yeah. So, sure. so one of the um, the way you're describing what the SCAA is doing there, it seems the SCAA has like the role has developed over the years. Its its stated goals in the early days are quite different to what it does today, and I think it's fair to say the same as the SCAA. Um, do you, do you agree with that? And like, where else is it developing in, in the future? How do you see the role of the SEAA changing? I think, in a big picture sense, it it is the same. Um, I think how we do that and how it's evolved is definitely very different. I think we have a lot more opportunities now. I think that, um, and you know, the just even the resources that we have available because of having um, many strong years of successful execution, we build on that, and you know return it, return the investment to our members. I mean, we didn't, when I started in the barista community back in the coffee geek days of like 2004 or five that I was just talking about, I mean, I would have loved to go to barista camp. I think that would have been just, and, or, I mean, I probably would have found myself in more of an instructor role there. Cause that's kind of how that's my happy place. But like for my own staff or my wholesale customers to have a resource like that would have been amazing. And people are taking advantage of it. And so I think just the way that we're positioned and the, and the opportunities that we have, um, it's been a, when I joined the SCA board, it was a, a huge goal of ours at the time to um, diversify our revenue. We were just very, very dependent on the expo and it's still close to half of our um, annual budget can be tied to that one event, but it used to be like 80% and that's kind of scary. So even just things like that, like it's made us a more healthy organization, which in turn gives us the opportunity to do more. So in your everyday, day-to-day stuff, talk us through your normal day. So like you, what time do you get? Do you go into the HQ? Do you work from home? Are you normally on the road traveling? Give us just like a brief insight into what your average day would be and the kind of things that you'd be covering and picking up. Okay, um, I would do my best. But um, I do work from home. I live in Traverse City, Michigan, which is a beach town in northern Michigan. Um, so, But I also travel a lot. Um, so my commute is either 17 steps or you know hours on a plane. Yeah. And most of my travel at this point is international. I visit our headquarters down in Santa Ana, which is in Orange County, just south of L.A. Um, I, I'm there about six or seven times a year. It just sort of depends on what else is going on. And um, that. so in addition to that, in our U, uh, U.S.-based events, I do a lot of international travel. And Colin, you kind of, or actually I think it was you, Steve, alluded to this earlier, like kind of seeing Rick and seeing me at events and sort of like, why is that, you know, why is that specific to the education director? So that part of my day is we, we realized early on that the education piece was a critical component to serving members outside the, the sort of SCAA events area. 
So the events that we produce ourselves is they generally have a more U.S. and Canada-based audience, sort of like a North American audience. But we have this huge membership base that includes a lot of um, producing countries um, and activity specific to producing, as well as in what we, I don't know what the politically correct term is now. I think it's importing countries or primary importing countries. Um, the education piece is what most markets outside those that are served directly by our events it's the thing that they say they want so it, it ends up that I'm kind of in this secretary of state role um <laughs> just like really making those connections which is great I mean I think that's cultural exchange is if I you know has been what I sought to do with my career I wanted something that had that element and um have definitely found it in this job and on a day-to-day basis, when I'm, especially when I'm working from my home office in Traverse City, which is also home to the Traverse City Coffee Museum, by the way. So, wow. um, yeah, <laughs> all of my collected stuff um, displayed in a very, <laughs> in a in a way that makes people excited about it. But um, anyway, so my my day, like what I do mostly is, um, I think probably you could qualify it as sales. A lot of it is um, working with. Sometimes it's the government of a country or a large entity or a training school to kind of help get them um, set up within the SCAA program as, I guess, like a distributor. Um, I'm using words from the private sector because we we don't really have the same language in the nonprofit world, but um, just kind of illustrate it. And and then, you know, I'm like very beholden to our budget. I just want to make sure that we're always making our numbers and the SCAA education division is a revenue center and so it's it's important for me to not only for my own activity but things like research and and some of the other activities that we do like marketing you know we have to support that somehow and so um, I'm just very preoccupied by that and then I have a a, my my sort of other role is um, in shepherding our committees and councils that whole structure which is like our leadership development and mentoring the new leaders making sure that people um, know how to contribute and just kind of keeping the train moving. Um, I work a lot with the various committee chairs across the board in supporting their activity and just making sure that people know where their resources are. And um, that is like a, you know, you can't even imagine how varied that activity can can be. Um, But it's very central to the concept of professional development, you know, really wanting to make sure that we have a new generation of leaders kind of always um, being developed to whether it's to join the board or to lead the sustainability council or to um, develop skills that they use in their company and contribute effectively to the specialty coffee industry. So um, those are sort of the two things. Um, I have like a lot of randomness, of course, that comes outside of that and just making sure that people get their needs met within the education system. You know, we have a staff. I'm not the only one. I have Ildi, who's our education manager, and Dorit, who is our admin administrator take care of a lot of, of a lot more of the day-to-day activity um but you know sometimes some of those things fall on my desk too and you just it has to get taken care of so part of the, the and, and i think this is very specific to scia much more than what i've seen with the scae education because we get to see much more of that is that everything seems very tied into being more international um would that be fair I hope so. Um, that's definitely the aim. And the our the founders of our education program, it started in the late 90s. Um, and 
the vision for it was really serving a U.S. market at the time. And over over time, we through the network of 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 the SCAA, um, we recognized right away that there was a need to make um, make the program available internationally and and represent more than just sort of the American way of doing things. And that's something that we still are continuing to develop. I mean, you never really arrive, but we have contributors, um, what we call SMEs, um, it stands for subject matter experts. We have SMEs um, in many different countries that really contribute to the curriculum and help make sure that the best practices that we're teaching are representative of a more broad audience. So that's definitely the intention. So if that's coming across... Well, I, I kind of I'm thinking like I've, I've I've actually spent a bit of time on on the on the the, the website in the past when I, when I did the uh, education trainers program with you guys and then mm-hmm. um and and, and I've, I've I've obviously been reading some other stuff that you're doing some more website stuff so that for me that international thing do you think it's important to have that like presence where you don't have to actually go to somebody but you can actually deliver something somewhere else and I mean SAI have took that model too I'm not kind of saying it's exclusive but the the, the website seems to be much more at the focal point for for your education as opposed to SEA where it's very much about getting trainers to go and do events or you know satellite uh, satellite a little more would that be fair oh sure yeah I mean we have um and this has been a huge initiative over the last I would say two years especially is developing the network of the SEA campuses so um and most I think there's about 15 maybe 15 or 16 in US and Canada and then the re- the rest are outside of that, and so um, there's about 200 in total of the SEA campuses. Right. So these are individual, usually private companies. There are some that are associated with various governments or like a university sometimes, so that they're more of a public institution. The vast majority are private um, coffee institutions of some kind. Training schools or roasters are the most common. So that's 185 um, outside the U.S. Yeah. And Canada, sorry. Um, yeah. That's incredible. <laughs> Outside North America. Yeah, and so there are various varying degrees of activeness, certainly. Um, there are some that produce SCAA education on a near daily basis, have something on offer weekly or several times a month. And there are some that get the designation for um, the prestige of being associated with the SCAA brand. And this is coming directly from survey results. I'm not just making that up. Um, that was something that we found 100% of our surveyed campuses said that the association with the SCA brand was a primary reason. Yeah, yeah, so, it's it's a big thing. I've, like, I've <laughs> done uh, presentations around different cities in Asia and Australia, wherever, and thinking back, a lot of them that you come to say, oh yeah, we got the certification and everything, so it's, it's interesting how it happens. Mm-hmm. As well as that kind of, that, that very uh, tangible um, network that you have there, the website then is, is something, you, you guys are recently, recently updated the website and what did you have yep. to do with the project, and uh, and how far do you think that can go? Is that the future of what you're doing, or? Um, well, the pathway program. Do you mean, or the campus program, or both, or? The whole thing, like how, like the in general, like the web the website as as a tool, like to grow the SAA. Is that something that? Oh, that is it's essential? totally essential. Yeah, and um, that's been. I think that it's not hard to convince our you know decision makers, our board, or whatever that that's something worth investing in. I think probably the most obvious manifestation of that recently has been the SCA e-learning program. Um, and we even saw, we saw spikes in our membership in different regions, um, Europe in particular, grow when we launched the e-learning platform. And that has just been, you know, the, we, the e-learning is online-based education. Of course, everything can't 
be taught in an online environment, but a lot can. And so we've, um, we've seen that it's been a great way for students who literally have no other access to coffee education or yeah. also people who are curious about it. We get a lot of calls like, um, my brother and I just bought a coffee farm in Honduras. <laughs> yeah. teach, I can, I can teach me how to import. As well. like, it's really, like, yeah. I've, I've been oh, backpacking sure. and do you want to buy a container of coffee? I'm like, uh-huh. what? <laughs> it, just, it happens quite regularly. It's amazing. I mean, the, the industry that, we, you know, when I think about it, I think about the people I know and the events I go to and, um, you know, the trends and all that. But there's like this whole group, you know, people that are completely unconnected and unaware of the work that we do. Yeah. And, um, really and there's so much work to be done. Like, it. that's the thing is that there's, there's so much potential work that could be done out there. No doubt about it. And so, you know, we a lot of a lot of it was developed in some in some sense as a customer service response, the coffee buyer program. Um, but just really, I mean, there's a demand for it. And there's, um, James talks about this a lot that we, as an industry, we shouldn't be proud of being self-taught. You know, yes. that we have this whole like self, you know, we're, I'm self-taught. It's like, we should, we should actually be investing in the infrastructure that, um, lends some credibility and, and validity. And I mean, there's definitely a role for associations in that, yeah, especially I, I, I couldn't agree more. in education. <clears throat> um, just briefly then, or okay, well, not briefly. Moving, moving on a little bit more. Um, recently, you had the uh, annual strategic leadership summit in Atlanta, and yes. um, there was. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to know this or not. A little birdie told me. I don't want to say who it was, so let's just call this person Paul Stacker. Okay, just no, <laughs> nobody knows who it is. Let's um, call him Saul. And he, he, he or she told me that. Um, there were members of the SAE in attendance. Um, so is that, it, 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 or, uh, I could phrase this question many different ways. Steve has a has a good way of phrasing it. Do you want to throw it's it? It's an aggressive this? takeover going. Yeah, that's it. That's <laughs> yeah, all I've seen the hashtag. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, in, a, in a very polite way, what the hell is happening there? Well, um, it is very polite. And um, <laughs> thank you. The, 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 we call the SLS, the Strategic Leadership Summit, um, by far, this is my favorite thing that we do. It's my favorite SCAA event every year. Um, I felt that way when I was a volunteer, and even more so on the staff. It is magic. And this year, um, as you mentioned, the SCAE board and a number of the staff were invited and joined us in Atlanta. I heard they were ordered to come. They were ordered to come <laughs> because of the aggressive takeover. Me. Is that not right? <laughs> And yeah, and so we're definitely, I mean, I don't think this is a secret. We're between the SCAA and AE leadership. So generally when I say that I'm talking about the boards and the senior staff, um, we have been looking as, you know, we've just talked about this whole international and the different platforms and the campuses and the e-learning and um, the, you know, kind of back to my earlier point, the purpose of an association is to promote trade. And so if you have two associations um, that basically are covering, in some cases, the same territory, it's responsible to look at that and say, is there a more efficient way that we could do this? So we've been looking together to, um, to identify ways of collaboration and alignment. Um, and no surprise, of course, like the education program is kind of at the forefront of that. Um, so we're, we're looking at ways to... I mean, alignment is a little bit of a buzzword, but that's really being responsible with our membership, our, both memberships' resources 
in order to work together more effectively so that we can um, be operate more efficiently and continue to grow and do more things rather than um, struggling to explain the difference between the two, especially in the education program. That's been a big, um, a cultural thing that, that we noticed. And Paul is someone I know very well, and he and I have been working on this kind of in the background for close to five years, really yeah. looking at, okay, how do these education programs, if, if we're competing, we're not for fulfilling our mission. And if students, um, we, we saw a lot of this manifest in um, the coffee the markets that are growing really fast in Asia, so in particular Korea is one, China is another, where we had competing entities and their whole sales strategy was, oh, SCAE program is better because, you know, X, Y, and Z, and the SCAA program is better because of these reasons. And um, that is completely contrary to the missions of both organizations, and we recognize that as a problem. So... Um, within those talks and kind of looking to um, to align the education programs, the conversations have have expanded into are there more opportunities like this? So I know I know I keep joking about the aggressive takeover and Colin knows <laughs> more than most that if I have a joke, I just never let it die. I just keep it going forever <laughs> and ever and ever. Um, I can confirm this. You can confirm this gentle giant. Be quiet over there. Um, do you know the gentle giant? background story. I don't think so. Moving on. Uh, no, no, this is the best. I, I, I'm, I'm going to have to regress before you, but this is the best. So the second ever Tampa Tantrum we did, we're at Colin's apartment and we used to About video five years them. ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, I introduced myself, hi, I'm Steve Late and I'm a roaster based in the UK and Colin, you know, hi, I'm Colin Harmon, I'm the Irish barista champion and he just left Coffee Angel and hadn't got the coffee shop opened. So as all baristas out of work call themselves consultants, mm-hmm. um, He's a, I'm, I'm a barista consultant, kind of gentle giant. <laughs> and it's just one of those beautiful moments where you just think, what are you saying? You've made words come out of your mouth that make no sense. You are neither gentle nor a giant uh, in any way at all. So now, now Steve and three random guys on the internet call me the gentle giant and nobody else. Yeah. Yeah, so I never let a joke die. But if it isn't an aggressive takeover, which David Veal actually said to me, I just don't want to stir things up, Ellie, but I interviewed him for one of the shorts that we did while I was in Gothenburg. And uh, he said that it wasn't an aggressive takeover from the SCIA. In fact, the SCIE were in a stronger position. Not that I'm stirring up trouble. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, how do you see the two organisations coming together? You know, I'm thinking management level, first of all, and then I'm thinking, you know, down below with education. Because I think that... There are so many things that both organisations do better than the... And it's really obvious for me looking outside. Like I think there are certain things that are just done so much better by SCAA. And SCAE has done some other things better. How do you see them actually fitting together? Um, well, I think it's not really my place to say. I mean, I think I would, you know, I will answer, but I want to hear from you too as a member. Like, what what makes sense to you? That's what makes sense to me. You know what I mean? Like, that's... I work for you. That's what we do. Um, I think like I said, I mentioned already the education program, um, standards and research is another area where there's so much opportunity. Um, standards wise, actually we're pretty well aligned already. And the research component, um, SCAA has our scientists on staff. And then we recently, um, hired, we actually promoted someone from a different position into a research analyst position. 
And so we've been able to invest a lot more in these two activities, be, you know, A, because our members are saying they want more of it. Um, but there's opportunities. So did you see the results of the what we called the salary survey or the wage survey, which was like U.S. roasters and baristas? There was a video that was um, released recently. Okay, we, we'll, we'll put a link in the show notes there as well so okay. people can get a look too. Yeah, there you go. Um, just kind of looking, the question we were asking is a correlation between are you certified? Do you have any type of professional certificate? And um, what what are your wages? So obviously it was confidential, and this was members and non-members. In we wanted people who self-identified as a barista or a roaster. And so the survey had all this goofy architecture that if you didn't answer in exactly the right way that you were in the target demographic, you got a series of other questions, and then you were done. Okay. Um, so the... I'll cut to the end and give you the punchline, which is that it turns out it does matter. It looks like about on an average about 150,000 USD over your career that you're going to acquire. Um, you should expect to acquire if you're certified or not certified. Um, really? So that was good news for me in my position because ultimately my job and the SCA professional development program is not to train people. It's to make training easier and more effective for our member companies and for the industry. Um, in the meantime, we do train people and that's sort of the, a way toward that. But at the end of the day, if it doesn't actually make a difference, there is no point in doing it. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's only fair to say that that will grow in the future because people will, the accreditation is growing in reputation every year. So it'll become more and more valuable. Just when you mentioned there that the baristas and the roasters, and obviously there's people in between. Uh, like sales guys, techs, all that kind of stuff that are getting involved. Mm -hmm. What sort of a role does SAE play at farm level? Um, did you say AA or AE? I said AA. Okay. I just I don't speak like Irish. I might have said AE. I'm trying to get away with it. Steve, if I said AE, can you edit it so that I said AA and then it looks like Ellie was wrong? I'm actually editing it right now to E. Ellie, if you could just apologise at the end and we'll stick that apology into the middle as well, that'd be cool. That would be perfect. No worries. Um, I did take a semester of Irish, by the way, when I was a student. Um, <laughs> but, I was going to speak um, some, but I can't think of anything to say in Irish right now. But so. Yeah, well, I just want to actually, like, finally answer the question that you guys asked me, which was about, like, I started talking about research. That I just mean that as one example. We can We have that survey architecture we'll change all the, you know, we'll put the use in all the words. So we have color and honor and all that stuff. And then we transfer it over to our um, SCAE counterparts and we can do a survey like that in different markets. And then yeah. we have this more robust, I mean, research is the, probably the thing I'm most excited about because it's, it's not going to be that hard to do. So anyway, that's why I mentioned it. Yeah. Um, the farm level. So um, the, let's see how much, let me just think about how I want to answer this. So um, we have within the SCAA community, um, the when we talk about like the international community, the most obvious are the producing communities of especially Latin America. Um, the That's been a really core constituency of the SCAA membership for as long as I've been involved and certainly before that. And the... So we're talking about um, most of these countries have individual organizations that attend to their coffee industry, um, whether we're talking about Costa Rica with eCafe and SCACR, or we're talking about the FNC in Colombia. Um, and those entities have been very active within the SCA community and 
kind of learning from one another, advocating for what, you know, whatever the need is at hand, and then utilizing the SCAA platform to um, gain a larger audience and a stronger voice. And certainly those same organizations are also involved in SCAE. And then we have that same type of involvement throughout Africa and throughout the Pacific region. And um, that originally those coffee associations formed a group called the IRC, the International Relations Council, and that's evolved into something um, more as well over the years. So we have that sort of advocacy piece. And I think, you know, on, on paper, it maybe looks like a little bit bureaucratic, but it's, it's very important to have those networks and that structure so that we can communicate. And then one of the things that we've seen that even like just taking our SCAA Expo as an example, the producer participation has increased every year. And we, we had something like 35% of attendees of the Seattle show were outside the, from outside the U S and Canada. And a huge majority of that are um, through producer organizations. Yeah. Um, I noticed that a lot actually. Like it's, it's, it's become like a a massive event for uh, for the producing community, if you suppose, if you could say that. Um, And um, I think there's huge opportunity because that's the kind of, that's the link up that's never really been there. You know, that's the one that we can focus on. I totally agree. I had a conversation at the SLS recently that has really stuck with me um, that I, you know, I can't stop thinking about it. So that I um, met a coffee producer there named Angie. She lives in Columbia. And we had this exercise where it was talk to someone in the room you don't know. And I was looking around. I was like, oh, my God, I, I don't know if I can do this because I know everyone. And so um, Angie came and found me. She was like, I see you looking around and I don't know you. I'm like, OK, great. <laughs> so um, she's a producer from Columbia and I just, you know, then it was like, ta- ask this person what their biggest issue is in coffee or something, some question like that. Um, okay, so she talked about um, the aging population of coffee producers and she was talking specific to Colombia, but I know that it's also true in Mexico is really um, Honduras and El Salvador um, that the average age of a coffee producer is Um, between the age of 53 and 55 in those countries. And Angie herself is not in that demographic. She's much younger, but she is convinced that if we don't take some sort of collective action towards, and um, in her words, it's technology, make improve technology at the farm level and young people will want to stay there. And right now it's boring, it's labor, it's not, it's not interesting. And as it's, you know, I'm more familiar with Latin America. Just I've been there a lot and done a lot of work there. You know, you've seen that these economies are growing and it's a great thing for the economy of a place like Colombia, but not so great when you think, okay, we don't have, you know, we don't have a new generation of coffee farmers. Yeah. And, and she said, you know, we made the mistake with Roya. We didn't ask for help until it was too late. And with this aging population of coffee farmers, we have to start doing something about this now. And that's a great place for SCAA. It's not a great problem, but it's a great place for an SCAA or an association um, to operate and to be able to bring minds and resources together in yeah. order to address that. It's, it's interesting that she chose technology. It seems like maybe we need Vince Fidelli to build an app for coffee farming. But um, it's, uh, it's definitely something that we can right? <laughs> definitely do it. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I think it's it's good time for us now. We le- we left this at the end because I'm sure you're probably sick of talking about this at, at this stage, but you've probably gotten wind of the reception uh, online from uh, SAA's recent decision to uh, do away with the regional barista championships. 
So um, we had you scheduled to come on, uh, I think, probably from 12 weeks back or so. Uh, but right. I'm going to make a confession here. When this broke, myself and Steve did kind of rub our hands together. kind of went, ooh, this is going to be interesting. Um, did. It was a bit of a shitstorm. Yeah, I think that was the hashtag. Oh, hashtag shitstorm. <laughs> <laughs> um, like it's and it, the thing is that you guys are a representative body, and when someone comes out with kind of like, "Hey, you guys, what have you done? You've given given a hell about." You can't go back and just attack them back. You have to be quite diplomatic about this. So now that the dust has settled, like, what what is the SEA stance on this, and how um, were you surprised by what happened? Um, yeah, well, I'm not sick of talking about it for the record. I mean, I think that's something if you just can't, you can't get sick of talking about things in this business. Yeah. Um, and especially if your members are saying you, would, you haven't heard me yet and I'm going to keep talking to you until you do. <laughs> so that's, <laughs> that's kind of an important, um, skill set in this job. So that's okay. Um, I've noticed. <laughs> um, and that's totally fine. The, um, so I think, you know, with at least uh, the benefit of a couple weeks to reflect on how everything went down and even looking kind of back at the decision process and everything, I mean, it's very clear that there was some trust broken. And the the response, I, I can't say that I'm totally surprised. I think that the barista competition community is extremely vocal. And as someone who's been on both sides, like as a barista competitor, you know, I told you that story about Doug Zell calling Michelle Campbell a hundred times a day. Like I've been on the other side of it, like where the vocal barista wanting to have things made clear, wanting opportunities to um, be part of that competition realm, seeing it as a value to me, you know, like I've 100% been there and then kind of being on the other side, responding to it and, and really looking at, um, you know, just, I, like, I think that the Barista Com, I guess what I'm trying to say is the competing community is very vocal and they're very active on social media. So the response and the way that things kind of came out, I, it wasn't totally surprising, although there were things about it that I was surprised. Um, one of the things was I was a little bit surprised at, um, I do, I mean, A, people don't like having things taken away. Like, that's, Yes. And that's where the trust issue is so important. I think that's the main area where we screwed up. Even if they weren't um, using it. Yeah, right. There's some study about like um, it was people at a conference that were given a, a like a, a mug when they walked in, like a um, like a trinket, like it had a logo on it or something. And then half of them were it was taken away from them when they left, but they had to answer some question about like, do you drink coffee or how often do you use mugs or whatever? And then there was, I don't know, there was some study on it that showed this correlation that like, even if you're not using something, even if you don't like it, it's having it taken away is um, creates negative feelings. Yeah. I I think um, I, I, you know, that, that whole thing with the, um, saying that about the, you know, taking stuff away. I remember when two years ago, we had, the, the heat's taken away in the UK and we just had a super heat because I took over with like about a month to go before we had to do it. We couldn't organise it in time. And I had exactly that, that same thing come back where people were going, like, why why aren't we doing this? Why aren't we doing it? It's like, because nobody's organised anything. Like, we can't do it. And 
I felt that because we were communicating on the, those social media channels, so there was it was very much a, a Twitter, a, a Facebook, and a blog post kind of thing to it, whereas this was a little bit more kind of just going, here's a press release, this is what we're doing. Do you think that was part of the problem and not necessarily actually engaging in the conversation at the beginning um, and just saying, this is happening, and then not... There, was a, there seemed like a little bit of a gap until everybody went, shit, what yes. have you done? Yeah, that's the word I would use, totally. Um, and the, I think, you know, the, the Barista Guild are the elected leadership of the Barista community, but they're not responsible for the competitions. And so in the meantime, as part of the whole way that this decision was made and um, kind of trying to figure out what do we do instead, and, you know, I think some of the basics around it, and this was like a Twitter conversation I had with CBABS, was like about really we can't turn a profit as a nonprofit association, um, but we, when we look at these events and how much of a financial loss they were, I was a little bit surprised that people said, well, can't we just lose money on them? And I thought, you know, is that really what you want for a member organization? And I think for many years, we did lose money on them happily because it created such a high value for our mission. There's plenty of activity that associations do that are not revenue generating. Mm -hmm. That's not inherently the problem. Mm -hmm. But looking, you know, looking at it like, okay, are there other ways that our mission is being fulfilled? Recognize, promote, develop, especially coffee, and especially in this case, talking about the barista community. You know, our, we look at the landscape and it's like, I don't know that we really need the, that this is such an exclusive, important thing anymore. Having said that, I mean, I think the biggest problem was that clearly the community did not know that the events were, quote unquote, in trouble or kind of on the chopping block. And that, um, it you know, became that as was a shock to everybody, I think, to it. Yeah, that it was like, well, I didn't realize they weren't profitable or, you know, just like, oh, my God. I mean, not even close. Like, you know, we're talking about like a lot of member resources that go into um, producing these these activities. Yeah. And then the other thing is that like if it's if it's making a loss, you still have to consider them the like most of the people involved in, in, in running the, sh the show at a regional are actually volunteering. So yeah. even if they were paid like a minimum wage, it would lose, you know, double that amount again, you know, so it's um the, 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 oh, co yeah. the cost of running them is, is colossal. Is there is there a positive that's come out of all this? Like um, reading between the lines, um, which is kind of a nicer way of saying making stuff up in my head. Um, it seemed that perhaps <laughs> there was um, going to be some sort of concession made, or that there was uh, maybe a, a different answer. Like one of the, one of the the solutions uh, that I liked was suggested by Nick Cho, where like he suggested that some people uh, that maybe a company like Intelligentsia or Stumptown or Wrecking Ball, or whatever, would host a regional. Um, or is there a, is there another similar outcome that might change, uh, or is it stick to your guns time and only have the nationals? Yeah, well, um, there's so that I think is the single most positive thing that came out of it was that there were plenty of companies and individuals stepping up to saying like, oh, if these things are on the chopping block, if these are going away, I will put my hand up, I'll help, I'll contribute, I'll do whatever I need to do. It's that important to me. And that was something I didn't necessarily expect. I think that was a really, that was a, a huge positive, at least from, from my perspective. Um, and, you know, just people stepping up and saying, you know, I'll, I, I will put my hat in the ring if, if this needs, yeah. um, you know, the resources to keep it going. And it was very clear that there, like some sort of grassroots effort is going to be essential to continuing this, you know, to kind of building on it. 
And one of the things that really got lost in the conversation is there is a commitment, um, at least on part the part of the SCA budget, for continuing to do develop regional activities. And I think that was really like lost in the way that we chose to communicate it. I think that didn't really come through. Um, that there's and in the meantime we have you know, like when I started like I was saying like there's competitions were it that was how you got involved it was the internet and competitions there was no other way yeah and that's um I just don't think that's true anymore and we were a little bit backwards in terms of so like I don't know if you guys know this but competitions actually have a technical educational component um so if you take you know take our like coffee industry out of it and just imagine that we're some you know whatever widget makers um competitions function as assessments of training and what that means is the person, in theory, that wins your competition should be demonstrating best practices as demonstrated through the training programs that you produce built on your industry standards. Yeah. And so we, because we had competitions before our training program was really fully developed, um, I think that there's some inherent dysfunction in that. And so, you know, you'd get people like, and this was one of the the sort of outcry themes, like what about the brand new barista who has nowhere else to go? Um, that person really shouldn't be at a competition. Like they, there's a thousand other outlets that they have and rightfully so, there's still a lot more work to be done. That's a good point because that's, that's a know. very, it's a very traumatic way to learn how to make coffee. Like Isn't it? in front of like, that's how I learned. That's like I was I was at the world championships. I was like and two months before I wasn't allowed steam milk at the shop where I worked. So it it's everyone thought it was really great. To me, it was quite traumatic. Like it was I would have preferred um, a more <laughs> educational route. Yeah, I think. Um, and, you know, for those of us that learn in that way, luckily, I had got to have my traumatizing experience behind closed doors at Fritz's training center, but, um, <laughs> it's the same thing. I mean, it, it was, I really you. thought I knew what I was doing, yep. and, <laughs> you know, so I think that that piece of it is, um, and, and the barista community is, um, by its nature, it's transitional, but it's also a huge population. And so we're, you know, it's incumbent on us to continue to develop opportunities for people who are new or want to enter the industry. Um, but, competing on a stage I just I just am not convinced that's the best and most effective way no I think for sure I think for sure with that Ellie. and what, but like so I don't know if you know the answer to this question so, so you just tell me to shut up if you don't but like I, I we again I go back to my experience of putting on three heats this year for the UK so we did one in the south one in the Midlands one in the north um and they actually cost us nothing apart from to get the judges there so we had judges expensive because we just went and they said, like, give us some space, you host it, this is what we're going to do. And we actually found there were lots of people that were quite up for doing that. If we, you know, we brought something that people could come and stare at in the corner of an event, they were they were quite interested or it's a chance to promote them. Where where was all the money going on the heat? Because surely if it's costing too much, then you just cut your cloth accordingly and make sure that it fits within the budget constraints that the competition has. Yeah, um, I think... I, I I probably don't have like the exact command of the like exact details on this, but I can speak to it in sort of a general sense. Um, the the venue for the competition, you know, was what we heard from the community was that we you know we used to do things in like a hotel ballroom or something like that, and the community did not like that. So it was trying to develop more inspiring venues that people actually want to come to. So I think um, 
A good example is um, we've had a couple of great venues in the L.A. area over the years. And um, often our host sponsor fees would cover that or, you know, whatever. But you're basically like building a cafe from scratch over the course of about a week um, with three espresso machines and this whole setup and like all the technical specifications. I mean, it's definitely not cheap. I think that um, we had a, I don't know if it was a policy or a tradition or exactly where it came from, but to have it hosted at a member company was something that um, we were not, was not really an option. But I think, you know, Nick's piece that he wrote, and then also just some of the, the community kind of suggesting that, I think that is something that's definitely worth exploring. Um, you know, building a three espresso station um, functional cafe in a week's time and tearing it down. It's just not like a super efficient use of resources. So, like, I mean, you may have said it within, within, so what is the plan? What is going to happen this year? Is it, is it, this is definitely what's going to happen or, or, or are, are SCIA still exploring the possibilities that there could be some change around where there, there are some, some kind of regionals in some kind of guise or form? Yeah, this, I think, um, I don't know. I do know that there is um, a group, a sort of like a representative working group that ha- kind of convened out of this, um, out of hashtag shitstorm, <laughs> that is <laughs> working on um, kind of next steps and, and regrouping, coming up with a, with a better solution than what we had put forth. I am not sure whether that, like the whole process will be able to be executed in time for the 2016 USBC, but um, luckily we plan to also do one in 2017 and 18 and 19 and for the foreseeable future. Um, we might have a transition year. I think, I, I, I don't know, if I was a betting person, I would probably put my odds on that this would be a transitional year and then the 2017 year would be a, a whole new system. But it's certainly possible. I think that there's, it's just, I, I don't know, our the way that our association and I think associations generally are like this. We we can we can host we can host a regional at our coffee throwing championships if you like. Yeah. <laughs> that would be great. Yeah, we'd have a USBC for a regional. Fee. By nominal, <laughs> yes. by, and by nominal, I mean massive. <laughs> so we'll, we'll send you another quote I'm for in. us. Another yeah, quote. I don't know, um, but certainly for like the for the future, that's that something is something will happen yeah well i think people at this stage have gotten a good understanding that uh the decision was made for for uh reasons um i suppose to preserve the competition that the best intentions were there mm-hmm. and that's i think a slowly beginning to um seep into into the kind of online stuff as well and listening to you today i think it's um most people most reasonable people can be uh absolutely assured that the competitions are in the best hands and with people that genuinely care about the future of it so um, yeah, I think well, you, uh, thank you you should be commended and not just shouted at on the in- internet for um, <laughs> that's right. Also, Ellie, when you get all of the SCIE's money, you can pay for all the regionals with it when you take them over. Um, that uh, sounds great. Yeah, <clears throat> exactly. <laughs> so make the check out to Ellie Hudson, Travis City, Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, thank you so okay, much. I for really joining. shouldn't joke about that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we'll continue to do it, don't worry. David Veal did. Honestly, he was saying he was spending all of your SCIA money. He was going to buy himself a new car and a new holiday home. Steve, and, Steve yeah. you're doing it again. 
Oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> well, it's I think you know just in a just to point out maybe what's obvious. I mean the the more that we've actually the two groups of leadership have worked together. I mean the fact that we can joke about this type of stuff without real fear. I mean it does speak to the the way that we've built genuine relationships of trust, and I think that that should count for something. Yeah, <clears throat> I actually get, I mean the two organizations have have got quite. Um, I, I don't know they, they, they seem to have attracted. Some really, no, certainly from an SCAA point of view, I don't know the SCAA board history so much, but SCAA has got some amazing people involved who I completely respect, and that's a, quite a change around from some of the earlier boards that I didn't. So I think that you know, there's more reasonable people involved now, um, and more like skilled coffee professional kind of business people involved, and um, that must make it easier. Yeah, especially there's this guy, um, you guys probably haven't heard of him, Dale Harris. Oh, he's a douche. Honestly, he's, I've heard all about him. Terrible man. Terrible man. He did you proud at, in Atlanta, Steve. He was a former awesome. Tam- like we, I hope he can come to all of our meetings. He's amazing. Former Tampa Tantrum speaker. Yeah, it's, it's just, yeah, they line them up. No, I think that was great, Ellie. Like, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure, and I'm sure this will get billions and billions of hits just for people to hear about the, the aggressive takeover and uh, and how that's working out. But thank you for your time. It's been amazing. Colin, thank you. My pleasure. Um, this was awesome. I mean, it's just, it's always nice to get a t- chance to just catch up with either of you and both and or both of you. So and, and sorry it was so early. <laughs> no, it's really, I mean, I requested to move it early. I'm taking the SS Badger today. It's the, the steamship or coal ship that goes across Lake Michigan. Oh, wow. Because I'm, I'm going home. Yeah. My mom and granny are driving my sister and I down and we're taking the Badger and it leaves at like one o'clock. So I was kind of like, you know, I don't really want my sister being like tapping her toes and kind of like, we need to wrap this up. Well, so no, it thank is you absolutely for moving fantastic. earlier to accommodate my needs. Thank you. Right, well, thank you very much, and um, I guess that's over now.